to the smartest man in the room, smartest guy in the room, or gal podcast. I'm your co-host, Jerry Dempsey, with me, the one and only Matt Smith. Good morning. Hey, Matt, question to you, Matt. Good morning. Do you, do people, two-part question right off the bat, when you tell people, hi, my name is Matt Smith, or however you introduce yourself, um, do they immediately start talking to you about other Smiths they may or may not know and ask you if you're related to them? Never. And believe it or not, as common as the name Smith is, I I don't know any relatives outside my immediate family that have the last name. So, uh, odd. That's, it's actually good to know because, like, you know, being my name Dempsey is in Ireland somewhat of an equivalent to a Smith. In other words, it's a really common, you know, kind of name. And we will be talking about Ireland at some point today. Um, even today, I still get that, oh, are you related to this Dempsey or that Dempsey or Jack Dempsey or Tom Dempsey, the kicker, or Rick Dempsey, the guy who played baseball? You know, and I just look at him like, no, no, no. And in fact, I'll tell you this one last dumb story. Uh, when I was in New York, we did an event at Chelsea Piers, and Jerry Cooney, the Great White Hope, was uh, one of the celebs, you know, uh, participating in our event. And uh, I had to, I wore many hats in my career. So my job that day was to be his handler, which meant I had to hang out with Jerry Cooney and kind of babysit him. Um, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that. Well, it's funny too, because I mean, first off, the guy's fucking huge and his hand is probably as big as your head. Okay. But the funny thing was like, you know, we went through, because his name's Jerry. My name's Jerry. We both spelled with the G. So we had just lovely conversation around that. And then it got to the, Dem the Dempsey thing and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then the best part of him was there was a children's party that was in the next room. He had me go in there and steal him a piece of cake from this children's party because he wanted cake. <laughs> and I fucking did it. <laughs> oh, man. Is that, guy bra is that guy brain damaged? Yes. I mean, he definitely either was drunk or punch drunk, but I mean, God love him. He was still, he's like one of those guys that punch drunk is a very appropriate term because he sounded like he'd had about six or 20 beers, you know, and he was like, hey, uh, you know, just that sound that, that we've heard from each other and all of our drinking friends throughout the years, right? You know, it's funny. No one has ever, no one really ever comments on, uh, you, you mentioned, his hand being as big as my head. Huge. No one has ever really commented on my last name, but uh, people have told me my head is huge. Interesting. I've never noticed that about you. Um, I've always I think been people, from, people from Buffalo all have physically big heads. Well, we have large heads in my family. I'm not one of those possessors of the large head. Yeah. I have a pretty medium-sized head, seven and a quarter, seven and an eighth maybe. Um, well, how big of a hat do you wear? Eight? No, no, it's not that. It's not like freakishly big, but it's like seven and seven and a half. I think my football helmet size was. I weighed my head once, and it was like thirteen and a half pounds. That's fucked up, dude. A lot maybe of my, maybe my brain is really heavy. I mean, it could be. You never know. 
don't brain's know. like a muscle, though, right? You got to use it to fucking make it work for you. <laughs> Mine's suffering atrophy. Well, you know, I always have... I have family members now. This was a recent competition in the Dempsey family. There's like 11 of us. Um, people were going around asking what your IQ was. Somebody, one of my family members, took some silly online test, and they had to pay for it. So just leave that where it stands, right? <laughs> um, they came back saying, oh, I have 148 uh, IQ. Which I guess, you know, that's like genius level. That's that's really that's that's very high. But they're paying yeah. money, you know, to take an online test to get those results. So, you know, I'm a little suspect right there. So of course me being the eternal contrarian, um <laughs> I told everyone I had eighty five IQ. <laughs> and then I'm just an, <laughs> and then I'm just like an an over you know, achiever. <laughs> <laughs> I I took an IQ test in the early 90s. You know, it was part of a, a college. It wasn't my college. It, it was. Uh, it was at a college, though, and it was this is before the Internet and I didn't have to pay for it or anything like that. And um, it was part of some psych students work and. uh said I had 117 IQ. I don't know what that even means. Well, that's it's mean, probably that's average. Pretty much, yeah, but it's probably a, a tick above average. And um, <laughs> That's a great slogan for my life. A tick above average. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> I mean, my thought on that stuff is like anything else. If you take a Ferrari and try to run it on a dirt road, you know, how fast... <laughs> How fast are you going to make that Ferrari go? In other words, you pair and, and people with average intelligence. Uh, at least I read a study or I'm going to pretend I did. Uh, they tend to do better because their expectations for them aren't as high as like the valedictorians and some of those other. You know, it's like the it's like the Heisman Trophy syndrome, right. if you think about it. So, well, that that's maybe. a thing in politics. I mean, politics, you know, politicians have a strategy where they always it purposely try to, especially during campaigns, they'll set the bar low knowing they're intentionally, you know, knowing that they're going to overcome it. And then when they overcome it, you know, they point to it and, and, and it, the idea is that it makes themselves look just that much better. Who's Not, a good example of that? I'm trying to hang with you and I'm trying to figure out, What's a good example of a president that did that? Well, I used to see it with governors when I would, uh, you know, I was covering politics, but. Uh, like tacky or are you thinking? Yeah, like, and I can't even remember examples anymore, but like, you know, that was always like a well-known strategy. Yeah, but who was the guy that got caught with the hookers? Spitzer. Yeah, I read a book about him. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was like kind of a maniac, wasn't he? I don't know when he was like uh, AG or something. He was uh, he was a he was on the fast track and he got yeah. derailed. Yeah, women will derail men. See, that's the weird thing though. That would not have derailed a Trump because that <laughs> fucking maniac would have probably just kept going. Because Spitzer didn't do anything illegal. I mean, 
He didn't. So, and he I mean, I read great embarrassment to his family, though. Oh God, yeah, that I get. Um, but I mean, I read a, I read, I think, an article about him in Fortune, and it looked like he would become like the next president. The way they were, the way the article was written, anyway. It was, it, it, no, and it, it, that was probably true. The thing with, the thing that the difference between Trump and Spitzer is that you know, if Trump got caught doing that, there wouldn't be a lot of shock for Spitzer went completely against the public persona that he constructed for himself. Yeah. The career he built around being an attorney was, was pretty spotless. I think up until then, right. Law and order, you know, squeaky clean. He was, you know, I mean, so. And he to see that actually, but anyway, that's, yeah, let's uh, lighten this topic. And for the folks uh, out there listening, our topic today, we're going to get real serious about something not very serious, which is getting drunk and hanging out in bars and acting like idiots. That's very serious. I mean, the booze the industry makes a lot serious. of money. What, um, we'll kick this off. I just want to know from you. Do you remember the, the first bar that you may have ever had a drink in? Absolutely. Turtles Turtles in Lackawanna, New York. Sunny LA. Uh the you remember the the there was a female bartender there. She was god, she had to be in her fifties, and she had a really, really dark mustache. And we used to go there and drink to because they served Stroh's Dark. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, she's the one who really, like, kicked my career off drinking. Oh, man. Yeah, we used to. My dad had a, um, he turned an old refrigerator into, like, his own kegerator. Uh-huh. He even had, like, the CO2 uh, tank outside, and he drilled a hole, and it was a really good setup. So I remember coming in from football when I was probably about 12 or 13 and just taking a pull. You know, and me and Ud used to just take pulls from it. And the, I mean, think about it. It's not remember the days when your parents would mark the liquor so they would know, like, if you took it, which obviously led to the invention of jungle juice. But, um, you know, my dad is not going to miss anything from a keg. Yeah. So I kind of blame him for my early drinking escapades. <laughs> I didn't, you know, my dad, when I grew up, there was no, well, my mom drank. My mom liked to tip them back, uh, but like you know, she didn't. She didn't hang around and get drunk around the house, you know. But my dad, my dad never drank when I was growing up. He had quit drinking. He he. Uh, my dad used to. My dad was a really really heavy smoker and a heavy drinker, and uh, this was before they had kids late. So by the time that they had me, I think he was like near forty. But he used to like sit around the house, you know, on a weekend and uh, like on a Saturday, and he would he would drink like a case of beer, you know, and he'd smoke three packs of cigarettes. Yep. And uh, you know, his health was really bad, and I I guess the story is is that like he got this doomsday diagnosis. Uh, I was probably like three or four years old. And they gave him like a month to live, and uh, and he stopped everything. And he stopped smoking cold turkey. He stopped drinking cold turkey. 
And I remember the big event growing up was uh, he said he was going to have a, a one beer, a beer at my sister's wedding, you know, whenever that was going to happen. Uh, and this was like a for years and years and years. He'd be like, you know, when Marianne gets married, I'll have a beer, you know, <laughs> but I never saw my father drink. But the That's stories amazing. I saw photos of him, you know, throwing them back and uh, heard stories from my mother of him throwing them back. And, you know, uh, I guess he he could I guess he was pretty for proficient at it at one at one time in his life. But I never asked you this. Uh, How old were you the first time he caught you drunk? Oh, God, I was. uh <laughs> I was in seventh grade. <laughs> yeah, I went to I went to a party at uh, Mark Jekyll's house. You remember him? Yeah, his dad was. Yeah, old. I we were playing quarters, and I drank like a a six pack in like sixteen minutes. <laughs> and, and I went from like zero to sixty, from sober to drunk, you know. And yeah. uh, I just threw up all over my house, and my parents weren't home, so I I thought, oh. I'll vacuum it up, but I, I didn't make, I didn't clean it before I vacuumed it. Oh, great. So I just vacuumed over the puke. And then every time my mother used the vacuum, our entire house would smell like vomit. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, I got busted that I got busted that night cause the whole house stunk. And then, uh, uh, he didn't give me any static for that though. I don't know. You know, my, well, our dads were the same. They grew up the same. You know, I mean, drinking and smoking, he never gave me any hassle for that. Yeah, I never smoked. And my dad, I mean, the first time he caught me drinking uh, was some night we were out drinking at the beach or somewhere in high school. I had to be a senior or a junior, I think. And my dad loved sitting up at our kitchen table till all hours of the night. So it was like a Friday night. And I was pretty drunk. And um, I came around to the back of the house just to check everything out. And there he was with his back to the window. So I was looking at his bald head. And uh, he had that nice monk. They called him the monk. He had this bald spot on his head that made him look like a monk. Anyway, we had all these old tires in our backyard for some reason. Just picture about 20 strewn about. Um, so I started piling them up against the side of the house. Because our bedroom window, you know, was unlocked. And I'm like, oh, I'll just circumvent that old bastard, you know. So I pile him up. I climb up the tires. And, remind, you know, just a reminder, I was pretty drunk. And get to the top, right? I got my two hands on the roof or on the ceiling or, you know, the roof of the house. And I go to hoist myself up. And then the tire tower that I had created just fell over. And it <laughs> took me with it. So I'm laying in the backyard like, oh, that felt great, you know. And then I my start, I start spinning like I'm going to throw up. And I think I did. But the next thing I know is I had a golf club. I think it was a wedge or a nine iron pressed against my neck. <laughs> and I turn and look. And my dad's like, oh, look at what the cat dragged in. <laughs> I... And he made me sit down at the kitchen table with him. And have another beer. And I'm like, Dad, I don't think I want another one. He's like, no, 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 have a beer. You're, you know, you're a big guy, big party guy. Come on, party with me. 
And let's just the next day I spent rounding up all the tires and cutting the lawn and doing a million jobs while I was like super hungover. So that son of a bitch taught me a lesson. <laughs> yeah, my yeah, you know, I never got my dad would never uh he never gave me grief about drinking or anything like that, but like when he knew I was hungover, yeah, he would just he would just, you know, the next day, if he knew I was hungover, he would purposely put me through the grinder. Yeah. You know, you do. yeah. Perfect. So let's see here. Uh, I sent you a list. Why don't we, uh, why don't you pick something from the list and ask me about it? Maybe I'll, I'll well, tell let's you talk. Story. Let's talk about uh, McSorley's because that yes. is, that is probably the best bar to drink beer in. And, and and what I love about it is, well, you know, I don't, you know, I I was, last time I was there, I was there with my friend Becky. We were working down in New York City, and we went to McSorley's, and it was like one in the afternoon, and we walk in, the place is packed, and, you know, what I love is they they take all the choice out of everything for you. Yep. They tell you where you're going to sit. They basically just throw you onto it into a table. Yep. And they force you to sit with people you don't know. Yep. And there's only I think there's only two kind of beers on tap. And I think it's like light, you know, regular beer and dark beer or something light like that. Light and dark, yeah. Yeah, and they just bring you like they bring everyone two mugs at a time. And they're surly and they're insulting. Yeah. And it's it's fucking wonderful. Yeah, I've been in there a bunch of times, but like the time I remember the most was I went in there with a bunch of uh, buddies from work. And what I like about McSorley's, for anyone listening, it's one of the oldest bars in New York City. I think it's in the village somewhere near Union Square, maybe. Um, But it's really old. And I go in there and those the big goon guy, the white coat, uh, we sit down and they bring you two beers at a time. You can't just order one beer, which is nice. So anyway, they sit us with these guys from Oklahoma who are chewing tobacco. So guess who's going to chew tobacco with his new friends? This guy, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm talking with them. I'm showing them how I can pack it, you know, with the little snappy finger and the skull brother or whatever, Copenhagen. Next thing I know, I'm half in the bag and the big goon work in there comes over and he goes hey yuppie f-a-g-g-i-t <laughs> he goes this ain't fucking starbucks you better start drinking or i'm throwing you out <laughs> <laughs> yeah classic. i mean they they just call your shit there and and uh and we got we got we got we, we were seated with uh some couple from seattle who was like they were just like touring new york city and uh it's really a just a great experience, you know. I mean, it's it's uh, and it's 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 kind of a testament to what having a couple of drinks with people you don't know can like bring out, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, if 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 that was a any other location it, it, besides a bar, and we were forced, you're forced to sit with people you don't know. Um. <clears throat> 
the conversation would be awkward and you know and but it's it's not awkward there you know because you got beer in front of you well the other thing too with McSorley's is it it's like uh the playing field is leveled and you have you have locals you have business people and you have tourists all mixing together yeah like, you know, typically your New York City bars, you got the cool places where all the, you know, yuppies go. You got the places where the finance, the Wall Street dudes like to go. And then you got your touristy places like Times Square and shit, right? Yeah. But McSorley's is a place where everyone is equally an asshole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a that perfect, it's a perfect way to describe it. Like the, the, the playing field is level there, you know? Yeah, uh, have some crackers and some fucking mustard and cheese. Like I think that's all their menu is, and um, I I love I love how surly they are to you too. I yeah, mean, they yell at you, so, and there's oh, sawdust yeah, so, everywhere. It's so great. Do you, it's have, like being have, at home? <laughs> are there were there? How much drinking did you do in the financial district in New York? We didn't. We I did not do a lot there because our office, the 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 office I worked at was um near Madison Square Garden. I got drunk with Stephen A. Smith one time. We can talk about that later. Oh, God. He was fucking I would awesome. have to be drunk to be around him. He, dude, you don't even understand. We went to Nick and Steph's, right? It's an MSG. It's like in the building. And me and my buddy, who's like this big, big loudmouth Italian dude, we go into this bar after this meeting. And I see Stephen A. sitting at the bar by himself having a drink. And I hit my buddy. I'm like, hey, there's Stephen A. Smith. And this guy just goes, yo, Stephen A., what's up? <laughs> and he fucking calls us over. So we're like, oh, let's go talk to Stephen A. now. <laughs> Did he really? Oh, yeah, because he was just by himself, like, having a drink after probably broadcasting or something. I don't know what he was doing. But and there was only, yeah, it was probably like 20, 30 people in the bar. And you know New York bars. Nobody gives a fuck about famous people. They're like, yeah, what's up? Right. But uh, he was funny as shit. Like, I just sat there. And let the two of them, loudmouths, talk shit about the Mets, the Yankees, fucking basketball. And I just sat there laughing. Like, it was uncontrollably. It was, like, one of the best times I ever had. Ever drink, at a, ever drink at a bar in the financial district called the Dead Rabbit? I know of it, but I did not. We didn't go down there too often. But that's, like, that five points lore. What was that like? Uh, that's, that's It's this old Irish bar. It's always, it's, uh, it's really well known. It's, you know, it's not too far away from the ferry. Uh, but I'm down there working a lot. Uh, and again, I was with my friend Becky who does like all my photography when, when we were working and she knew of this bar and it's turned into this place where I go to a lot when I'm down there now. And it's, it's great. It's not, it doesn't have the McSorley's attitude, you know? And it is a little bit more up. Uh, the clientele is probably a little bit more uh, upscale, but uh, um, it 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 does. It's not pretentious, and it's just just dark, yeah. small. There's a lot of those so, good places. There's uh, one in the village. Park. I forget the name of it, but um, they have really good hamburgers. I used to go there, but we used to go to this place called the Wee Molly Pub. That's right at 34th Street near MSG. And um, very, un, to your point, very unpretentious. And just come on in, have a drink. You know, um, 
that kind of thing. It's what you know. The Dead Rabbit is one of these bars where if you get a if you get a seat at the bar, if you manage to get a seat at the bar, you feel like you've won the lottery, and you will you will piss your pants just to not give that seat up. You know, like if you have to go to the bathroom, you're like you have this internal debate with yourself, like do I go to the bathroom or or do I just sit here and hold on to this seat? Uh, you know. Reminds people at the brick bar used to piss at the bar because they couldn't even get away from it. You know that? <laughs> well, the brick bar. Nights. Let's talk about the brick bar. Oh, fucking place. Yeah, what do you want to tell is me? Is that place still? Is that place still a place now in Buffalo? Oh yeah, it's more uh, like refined, if you can use such a word. I mean, compared to circa 1988 or 89 when we used to go drink there. I mean that place was a zoo when we when we that place was is the you know that's the antithesis of uh, the dead rabbit and McSorley's you know it's hard least, to describe but, but the people, people, yeah Go you'd ahead. walk in and the minute you'd walk in through the doors you couldn't move yeah place would be packed to the gills music would be blaring it it didn't matter how cold a, a outside it was the minute you walked in that that place you would break out in a sweat because it was so hot i mean my favorite thing was just how fucking drunk everyone would get at brick bar like everyone was there to get fucked up and they didn't care i never saw anyone drink a mixed drink there everyone everyone had their own (laughs) case of ov splits (laughs) Splits. (laughs) this bar this bar for the uninitiated it was a bar in buffalo and you would walk in and you could order, you know, a, a case of 24 seven ounce old Vienna beers and they would just serve you. I remember they would serve you the box. They'd give you the box and they just pour a bunch of ice in the box. I sit down, baby. And you just, you'd just, you'd try to make your way to whatever part of the bar had an opening that was a large, that was large enough for you and, two or three other people to stand still drinking at, you know, there, you, you couldn't move. You weren't going to walk around this place. You, if you had to go to the bathroom, you know, it was good. You were on a journey you had to take two beers with you. Cause yeah, you, were... <laughs> you were on a journey for about 35 minutes before you returned to your. Yeah. <laughs> All the elbowing, the dirty looks everyone's given to each other. <laughs> oh my God. But, and yet as cramped as that place was, Sure shit, there would always be a brawl every time that oh, yeah. I was there that would break out there. There was fights every... I mean, the bouncers were all football players from, like, Buff State, UB, or Canisius. Right. Um, obviously, my brother was one of them. But they used to love beating the fuck out of drunks, man. I mean, they took great pride in just pounding <laughs> some people. They loved I it. I mean, and quite frankly, guys went there to get in fights. So... yeah. You know, give them what they want, I guess. I'll tell you one quick story because I worked there for three years. But during the Allentown Art Festival, which is always a good time in Buffalo. I'm sure you've gone to it, right? Um, We had to go in there. Go ahead. That's my favorite festival. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, So, you know, I had to work a day shift, which means open the place up at like eight, nine in the morning. Me and my buddy, a couple other people go in. We're cleaning everything, getting the day set up. So I'm still getting bottles and glasses out of wherever the fuck they are. I go into the girls' bathroom. 
There's a fucking girl passed out on the shitter with her with her pants down around her ankles. Like we'd left her there from the night before. <laughs> and uh like I had the dubious honor of like waking her up and like, hey, you gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I I never got in a fight there, but I, I, I remember and you probably might know the story better than I do because I was pretty gone that night. But I went after a guy when he called me Goose from uh Top Gun. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> One of my favorite memories. <laughs> Just you said you look like Goose, and you said you look like a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my favorite comeback of all time. <laughs> Man, yeah, I think I was a dick anyway. Come on, <laughs> the uh, you know, I haven't been into the brick bar in a long, long, long time, but my daughter lived around the corner from it on Maryland in Allentown, yeah. and, and uh, the bar I still do go to there. And it's right next door to the brick bar is the old pink. Yeah. That's my favorite bar in Buffalo. Steak sandwich. Oh, it's, it's still it's, there. Yeah, it's still there. And it's but like you walk into this place, everything, the old pink for if anyone ever makes their way to Buffalo, go to the old pink. It's a yes, it's just a trip back in time. And uh, you kind of worry you're going to catch something when you walk in there. But it's it's one of the best dive bars around you walk in everything is painted solid black so yeah. it doesn't matter what time of day it is it, it feels like you're in in the middle of the night and Wait, uh, let me i had to interrupt you yeah there's no better feeling that i've known and i've known a lot of feelings than being fucked up and it's pitch black in the bar and you walk out and it's like only three in the afternoon and you're like oh, ah it's yeah. still light out well there's so much it you get this sense that like there's still possibility. <laughs> yeah. Like you could drink more, even though you're <laughs> fucked up. Like, oh, the night's still young. <laughs> the old pink is one of those bars too now. I mean, it's still, you could walk in there with $25 and you could do a lot of drinking. The beer's That's there. It's still yeah. pretty cheap. Yeah. I love that. I don't know. Any places down near you that you frequent or... Well, uh, when I, I don't, you know, I'm, my days are with kids and reminiscing of my glory days mostly, <laughs> but like in Chapel Hill, there's a really cool bar called he's not here. It's a UNC bar yeah. and it's, you know, you know, that smell of just uh, rotten old beer that you love when you walk into one of those bars, it just uh. feels like home when you smell it. It's the best smell unless you're really hungover. Yeah, well, then you just got to drink something really quick to kind of <laughs> get that hair of the dog going. But, like, they have these blue cups at He's Not Here's, and it's a place where, again, you get your students, obviously, but then you get a lot of alumni, and then you get a lot of just, like, working people that want to go somewhere and not be seen to do their drinking. You know, we, we used to call them, like, little hideouts, um, and in my job as a sales guy, shockingly enough, if you do, if you plan things right, you have a lot of free time to do things like that. Yeah. And you want to make sure no one sees you at your little hideout. So he's not here. It's still there. It's somewhere in, in the bowels of Chapel Hill, yeah. but they give you these huge blue cups, right? And they're the Carolina blue and they're like three bucks for a giant cup of beer. It's like half a gallon. <laughs> it's like a 40 ouncer, but eh. That's pretty much it for this place. There was a bar. I used to have, um, 
we used to go down to William, or Wrightsville Beach, which is about two hours from Raleigh. Yeah. And uh, the place we used to stay um, within a two-minute walk was Buddy's Beach Bar. And that, that was a place where every mom and dad were escaping their children or their relatives, you know, when they're on vacation. Yeah. Because, like, the beach is fun for about a day or two. And then you just want to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah, my my kids are really big beach people. They could, you know, it's funny. We could go on vacation. And as long as there's a beach, we don't ever have to leave it. We don't have to spend a dime. My kids are always, like, beach people. They could just, like, lay there for 10, 12 hours, and they're happy. And uh, But, yeah, I, 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 after about a day or two, I'm, I'm ready to do something else. I hear you. Yeah, there was, um, I mean, the only other place I never went to, eh, we'll skip it for next time. There's a, I I have a place here in Albany that, uh, has become my home and, you know, I, I, I think it's essential to have a place. I think everyone needs a place, but I go to this place called Beer Bones Tap Room and I started going there because it was near where I work and, uh, and then I learned you could get your name on a plaque on the wall for eternity. If you drank a hundred different beers that they have on tap there. And so, you know, my kids are growing and out of the house and, you know, I'm pretty much on my own for most of the day. And this became, uh, I don't really have any professional goals left. So I was like, (laughs) this is it. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to devote my next couple of months to. And, uh, got my name on the wall and, nice. uh, it, it, uh, I've done a, a lot of writing at this bar. They just let me sit there with my laptop and, you know, I finished a book there. I did so. I'm awesome. doing, I do a lot of work there for my regular job and it's like, uh, it's good to have a place, man. And, you know, it's funny. I eat, you, you meet, you start meeting people and you, so you start developing friendships with in like this parallel universe to your real uh real life and you know like we we just got shirts made for the podcast uh so and they'll be i'll I'll put something on instagram about how you can get them but like the person i person who made those shirts i met at this bar so you know so you're just networking is really what you're trying to tell me it's good to have a bar while i'm drinking but (laughs) Yeah, well, the, the, drinking, the networking is a is a pleasant, uh, you know, oh, outcome of it. Let me uh, segue to one of my favorite dumb stories. Um, so blah blah blah. I was in New Jersey, in New Brunswick, somewhere. We had this big training. It was an all day training, and it was really boring. Okay, that's not that's not part of the story. That's what got me in this hotel in New Brunswick, New Jersey. So it's probably around 6.37 at night. We're wrapping it up. And me and my buddy who hosted the meeting with me, um, it's very successful, by the way. We're leaving the, the hotel. And here's what happens. We get off at the mezzanine floor because thinking it was the lobby. We kind of fucked that up. But what was going on on the mezzanine floor was, picture this. You've been to trade shows? Sat in a booth ever? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. You suck, right? Uh-huh. Okay. 
This was a trade show for booze distributors. Dun, dun, dun. So we're, you know, we got suits on. We're looking fairly uh, responsible and adultish. So I'm like, dude, let's go in there. So it's like this two big ballrooms interconnected. All these people walking around. We just walk right in. And every booth, there's like the Jack Daniels booth. There's the Johnny Walker booth. There's the Jim Beam, the Evan Williams, the fucking pop-off guy. I don't know. But all these little booths are people serving alcohol. And him and I are like, did we, you know, did we just die and go to heaven? So we walk around like we're part of it. And uh, I ended up having to take a taxi home that night. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned a me- you mentioned the mezzanine, you know, is there's there's a different feeling about drinking at a hotel bar than yeah. there is like a, a neighborhood bar. Yeah. Uh, but I I like hotel bars. What about you? Um, well, now I got to tell you this other story. So I went out to San Francisco to visit my brother, Joe. Okay. Uh, I booked rooms at the Fairmont and I said, come down, meet me in San Francisco. We'll just fuck around. My wife gave me a hall pass for the weekend. So he comes down with like six of his buddies from Sacramento and we go out and just get fucked up. Right. We're, we almost get in a fight in some bar like called Fiddler's Green. It's it's somewhere near, I don't know, it's somewhere near the beach in uh, San Fran. San Fran's got great fucking bars, too. So we're drinking. Yeah. We're time traveling. The next morning, it's a Sunday morning, right? The one dude is like me, an early riser. Plus, I'm on East Coast time, so I'm up. It's like 6 o'clock. My head's thumping. His head's thumping. We, have, we go out and get some shit for everybody. We come back. They're all sleeping still in the room. Again, there's like six or seven guys. And um, so him and I decide we go into the restaurant at the Fairmont, right? Real four-star, five-star hotel, whatever. Um, We sit down on this real nice couch, and we order four mimosas. Two for him, two for me. And it just goes right down from there. So we're day drinking or morning drinking in this. And there's like rich people all dressed up going to brunch on a Sunday morning. And there's two assholes in jeans and shirts from the night before. Just looking like the the cat dragged them in. Getting fucked up. And now we're like yelling at the waiter. We're calling him Garcon. (laughs) So they end up throwing us out. (laughs) But yes, I love drinking hotels. (laughs) Can we and can we agree too that while neighborhood bars and dive bars and hotel bars are are all you know good and part of what has made America great, that clubs suck. Clubs aren't bars, dude. Clubs suck. I don't get the people. <sighs> I, you know, we grew up with certain people. I'm not going to name them, but uh, who would rather go to a club than a bar? And, and maybe I was just I mean... born an old man, but you know, I. You know, I, I'm happier at a bar that has three people in it, and I'm at I have a bar seat than a fucking club. I hate clubs. Yeah, never been a clubber. Uh, have been to them, never felt uh, comfortable or just like, you know, it just wasn't my scene. To be honest yeah. with you, I want to drink guy, and talk shit. Yeah, there's a you know, there's that club guy. Uh, yeah. You know that Brand and. Yeah. You know, really jacked because you, you know, you, you eat creatine with every fucking meal, you know, and 
just oh god i just i i if every club in the world burned down right now i'd be totally fine with it i don't think i've ever been to a club that i thought i had a good time at and i always want you know you know what i feel like i missed out on i never went to a foam party i used to hear about (laughs) those or a rave and I, i just picture people like having lots of sex all over the place i've never been to one so i don't it probably doesn't even really exist, does it? Uh, I don't know. These fucking people who do that shit. I feel know? like if I went there, it would be the it would be all dudes, and then one would grind up to me. Which, here, this is a true story too. It happened in San Francisco. Um, I went there with a girlfriend and some other people. Oh, she it was she was meeting. She was friends with a gay couple, so we met them for dinner. And we were going to go out, you know, for drinks afterwards. So we go to um, the very famous Mitchell Brothers. You know what that is in San Francisco? No. You're, I don't know if you like Hunter Thompson. You might hate him for all I no. know. He's a famous writer either way. Um, I, I, it's funny, but, sidebar, but my relationship with him is uh, I read everything in anything about him, but I'm not a particular fan of his. Well, that makes sense. Strange. No, I mean, you, cause it's like, you wouldn't want to hang out with them. Maybe you, you visualize things like, uh, the story is interesting, but he's not my kind of fucking person. I don't think I'd be friends with him, which is fine. No, but Mitchell brothers is famous historic strip club. They used to do sex acts on stage and all kinds of weird crap there in the back in the sixties or when things were cooler. But, like, we go there. I don't know why. I think my the, the girl I was dating at the time just wanted to go there because, like, it's touristy. So we go there, and it's weird. And then the one of the gay guys says, well, now we have to go to a gay bar. And, you know, I think I could count on one finger how many times I've been to a gay bar knowingly before. But I'm like, I don't care. Let's go. So... The now this couple, they're nice people, but one was clearly like the guy, and then one was kind of like not the guy. I don't know how that gets divvied up, but it, either way, it doesn't matter. He got he was like um, he was a banking official or something. He was a pretty good guy. So him and I are at the gay bar talking, just talking shit, and you know my girlfriend's talking to the other couple guy, and some little gay guy comes out of nowhere right up to a super skinny you know kind of stereotypical and he looks at us and he's chomping on his gum and he looks me up and down and he goes to the other guy you could do much better than this one <laughs> <laughs> i was like what the fuck man <laughs> i get no respect you know <laughs> and there's something you know gay or not you just it's nice to be wanted <laughs> i'm like what the fuck what am i chopped liver and I just started laughing. I'm like, I'm like, he's right, you know. <laughs> and the other guy just starts fucking laughing. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like even a gay, you know, I'm like, I still don't have it. <laughs> uh, that's a perfect way to end this, this show. Yeah. We'll have to do more when we got more drinking stories, but uh, good catching up with you, my son. And, uh, you know, do what you got to do to uh, make it happen. All right, brother. Stay free. Love it. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye.